With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Salah. Escape Cancela. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemann. De Bruyne. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, it's Guy Drinker. It's game week 29, and you know what that means. It's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable. Guys, we've hit what I believe is the last international break before we run this race towards the end of the Premier League season, towards the end of the European competitions, FA Cup still going on. This is, by definition, the business end of the season. And you're going to start the business end off you got to start with executive producer guy drinkle coming on setting the tone for the rest of the season guy welcome back onto the show um i think you know why i brought you onto the show because well i think there's two reasons to enjoy misery of liverpool fans even though you are a <laughs> liverpool fan but yeah try and pretend not to be and because i hear of some some news about certain mini games in this podcast, there and, some news. and another mini game which I forgot about predictions. Yes, so there's quite a bit of news that we're going to have to get through this episode. But there was one reason specifically when I was looking at the rota of guests, and I saw the banquet of Burnett's scoreline for Jake Jackman, and I said, "You got to bring Guy Drinker onto this episode. I need to talk to him first. We can discuss things. You obviously have had two goes, if I remember correctly, on Banker or Burnett. I I thought you finagled your way into having one. Now you doubled that and have had two. Um, I think the the suits upstairs may have banned you. Um, that that's what I'm hearing. That's what the talk is at the water cooler guy. Is you've been banned from get, getting another attempt at Banker or Burnett. I got the same score twice though, so that should <laughs> count as double. So I got thirty two. So, you know, Fair enough. I, I see that logic. But anyway, um, Guy, I know, let's let's just do some housekeeping quickly. I know that it's a double game week, especially, you know, for the budding fantasy football players out there. So game week 29 in terms of this show, we're going to do the first 10 games now with Mr. Guy Drinkle. And then on, I think it's going to be recording on Sunday, coming out either Sunday or Monday, 
will be at, um, Tad and the Predictables, where we get a whole bunch of guests to give their predictions for specific games that they're going to be assigned to. Uh, but Guy, are you ready to crack on with the first 10 games of Game Week 29? Well, let's get the first one out of the way and see what happens. <laughs> Good Lord! <laughs> let's do that. And obviously, towards uh, the halfway point of the show, we will reveal Jake Jackman's official score from it would have been two weeks ago now before the international break. Um, but let's start off with a team that was, I'm assuming, hoping for the international break. Uh, Liverpool, uh, you mentioned them earlier in the podcast. You mentioned the misery that they've had recently. Now, Guy, they haven't played for a good while. Um, great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> since, since the first game of game week 27, that would have been, what, 12 o'clock? 11th of March. So you've had some respite here, um, but respite no more because Liverpool will be traveling. Is it up to Manchester City? Um, now, we know what Liverpool did against Man United in a game where Man United were the informed team, in a game where Liverpool were seen as the team that, you know, couldn't do anything right this season. We had the whole scene of Gary Neville and Roy Keane laughing at Graham Sooners when he thought Liverpool could do something that day. They have had good results against the big teams in England uh, this season. Is this another one of those occasions or are the stakes a bit too high for Man City here where they just have to simply win to stay on the coattails of Arsenal? I think Man City have to win, um, but there's two, well, there's a few differences between the United game and this one. It's at the Etihad, so it's Mm -hmm. not at Anfield. It's at half 12 where Liverpool are seemingly the only team in the universe who cannot play at half 12 because you mentioned the Bournemouth game there. We literally didn't turn up after beating United 7-0. We, the team at Bournemouth 20th. Were 20th. They were at the time. were at the time. Um, didn't get out. We didn't get out of, well, we tried to get out of first gear, but we were just that awful. We couldn't. And Bournemouth pretty much just knocked, well, had no trouble against us at all. Um, Man City are a lot better than Man United. Um, and Liverpool, let me just double check. I believe we have some more injuries. Uh, Darwin Nunes? Yes, Darwin's a doubt. Thiago's not back. Uh, Basetic is out now, obviously. Diaz might be back, but that's coming off like a four-month injury. So, yeah, no, let's not. Um, and Costas is out, so that's not really a biggie. But it's it's not it's not a fun time for Liverpool. I mean, if this, were, if this was the classic half-four on a Sunday, and even if it was at the Etihad, I think it'd be compared. But just, Liverpool's got this long-standing thing. We've had, even when we were good, half-twelve kickoffs were awful. Um, and I know Man City have got. I'm doing air quotes injuries. <laughs> um, they've got, I think Foden's obviously had surgery. So he's, he's actually in as Harland. I think had a uh, a Ryan Giggs international injury by the sounds of it. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, I'm not confident in this, but you did, you did mention a good point there that Liverpool have turned up in some of the big games. I don't think many of them have been away from home. Old Trafford, we got beat. Uh, the Emirates, we got beat. Well, that was a very weird, horrid game. Um, and I can't remember of a good teams we played away so far. This is Newcastle. Uh, did we? 
I can't remember where the first game was. Uh, but Tottenham don't count. Shut up. Wow. Wow. They don't count. Uh, By the way, on that topic, Spursy won for one. Um, our mm-hmm. current defending champion, Jodie McInnes, she did tell me uh, the other day, does Guy have a, a, an issue with Spurs? Because you always throw jibes at Spurs. And, and obviously her being a Spurs fan always picks that up. Yeah, she's like quite. I quite like Spurs. <laughs> I wouldn't be able. Just to tell. I, I don't. I don't enjoy football, so it's nice to pick on someone, even though they are. How many points ahead of us? Eight points. I, enough. Seven enough. points ahead of us. Deary, May, Liverpool. Please stop it. Stop being awful. No, I, I. Well, I liked Conte, so now I don't like Spurs. But I always liked Spurs growing up. I preferred them over Arsenal because, well, Arsenal always used to battle Liverpool when I was growing up. Um, But, yeah, I don't know why. It's just an easy target, isn't it? Um, I can't really say anything to Man United at the minute because, well, they're a lot better than Liverpool even though we beat them 7-0. I should I I move move on to Chelsea as a target. There you go, Joe. There you go. Um, But, no, I'm not confident in this game. I think... Man City, as long as they have not come back from the international break, just horridly tired and I can't think of loads of South Americans that I'd be travelling a bazillion miles. Edison, obviously, but he's a goalkeeper, so that doesn't count. Um, Alvarez, but he doesn't start. Um, They should be be fine. Yeah, they should be fine. Plus they'll be on a billion down billion quid playing and be fine um but no i think man city will win this I, it wouldn't it, but it wouldn't surprise me if liverpool make it more competitive than i'm making out but just to go from a 7-0 to losing a bournemouth like that it's just drained all the hopes and dreams of my season and by dreams i mean sneaking into the top four what has become but um i'll go with a logical guess but it wouldn't surprise me if it's much closer than this. i'm going to go 4-1 man city 4-1 to Man City. And look, we did discuss it. Um, I raised it on that podcast when, when we predicted the Bournemouth game to say, look, I didn't want to mention it the day of the Liverpool win. Um, but obviously this was a couple of days removed that there's I didn't see a point, if you're looking at in the context of an entire season, the point in going and beating Man United, if you don't then go and beat Bournemouth as well, because at the end of the day, objectively looking at it, you probably only thought you were going to get three points, maybe four from those two games based on the team's forms and everything that went into it. So Liverpool actually lost out from probably objectively getting four points. They only got three. Um, To me, it, it, it just reeked of what Liverpool have been this season. They get up for the big games in the Premier League um, because they've got the talent to do it, but they don't have the mentality to keep it going the whole season. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the season, I think certain players that have the, the capabilities and the levels that Liverpool require at the moment, they don't feel the squad is good enough to win anything. And then the players that do want to put in the effort this season, they're not good enough. So it, it's kind of clashing at the moment. And I've not seen any evidence to change my mind since mm-hmm. since I said it at the beginning of the season. In this game, I think it would be, you know, you never want to wish your own team losing. Um, and, you know, God, the super fans will be after me for saying, you know, for daring to predict um, 
or saying something like this, but I couldn't care less. The thing for me is I think Liverpool need to get a hiding in this game. I think they've skated by this season a lot easier than they should have. Based on the squad that they've had, I don't think they've faced enough criticism for what the season has been. I think it's been a failure. I think um, that they've wasted a season of some of the players that are in their prime. Um, another the season, of, we should say. Another yeah, season. <laughs> another season. And it's it's going to bleed into next season. But I guess this is in a Liverpool podcast. We could we could wax lyrical about it. But I I I I'm saying five and all Man City. I think they put the 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 sword at Liverpool. Um, I think Liverpool need this humbling guy. I, I you know did I think that. Liverpool would beat Man United or beat them by that scoreline? No. Similarly, do you think Man City would beat Liverpool by this scoreline? No. But I think Liverpool deserve to get humiliated in this game to hopefully shake them up to a wake-up that this is worse than they're trying to pretend it is and certainly worse than the, should I say, Liverpool-friendly journalists that have been reporting and criticising Liverpool. I don't think they've gone far enough. I think Liverpool need a wake-up call or this is just going to carry on next season. But a team that is hoping to carry on what they've been doing this season, not only into next season, but into this last business end of the season, is Arsenal. They get to watch that first game, Man City versus Liverpool. Probably won't be watching it, you know, just sat down watching the whole 90 minutes. But they certainly will be getting probably the scoreline. Probably won't have to Fair. But they, you know they're going to get news fed to them somehow about the scoreline and what's going on in that game as they're warming up and preparing for their home game against Leeds United. I think irrespective of the result in that game, I think Arsenal shouldn't change their approach to this Leeds game. It's a game at home that they expect and should go and win. With the form that they're in, with the players that they have at the moment, Saka scoring on international duty as well again, he's coming into his own in terms of stamping his authority as one of the better wide players in in world football. A side point, I do find it interesting that people are comparing him to Salah at the moment. Just just go and look what Salah's done this season with that bad a Liverpool side. I I love Saka, but I still think he's got a bit of way to go to get to the likes of Mo Salah. But for me, I'm going to start with my scoreline straight away. I think a 3-0 Arsenal win, comfortable. They continue their charge to... For their fans, hopefully, uh, a Premier League title. Yeah, I think it's a shame that Leeds have a few injuries in midfield. Is it Tyler Adams? In- yeah, Tyler Adams is injured, not suspended, um, because it looks like Partey is a slight doubt. Um, so we have seen Arsenal be a bit, well, a lot more vulnerable when Partey is not there. Um, but without Tyler Adams in there, I know they've got McKenney and um, and Rocker, who are good players, but uh, I think Tyler Adams is probably the best of a lot to my eye, although I've not seen a lot of McKenney. Um But yeah, it's a shame that he's, he's not available in Leeds. Leeds are just... Where are they in the league? I, that's the 14th. If I yep. had to put money on it, I would have said they were like 18th. <laughs> um, the thing is, it's so bunched up there. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It really is. I, I forgot... Literally, football went off in the week last weekend in my house. So that's probably why I don't remember many of these games. <laughs> but that, I forgot they beat um, beat Wolves. So yeah, that was a good that was a good result for them. But no, the Leeds aren't going to stay up by beating Arsenal and stuff like that. I think it might be 
it might be one of those weird post international games where it's a bit scruffy and stuff like that, and Arsenal missing a few key players if if these fifty fifty injuries are actually true um, for them. Um, and Saliba's obviously missing as well, so it's a big that's a big part of their spine actually. But I think it might be like a yeah, I'll say three one Arsenal, but I think it'd be like two one for a while, and then later on they'll make it for you know it'll look more comfortable than it is. Yeah, and look, Leeds have played good football um, recently. I think goals has been an issue for them, but they get the four against Wolves last time out. If they can continue that, I think it would make for an exciting game. But Arsenal have shown, regardless of what the scoreline is this season, they just keep going and they seem to um, overcome all of the challenges that they've been faced so far this season. Let's move on to the team you mentioned earlier, Bournemouth. They will be entertaining Fulham. Now, you look at Bournemouth's last couple of games. They obviously got that 1-0 win against Wolves, I think, back in mid-February. The rest were losses, and then you have that Liverpool 1-0 win as well. I tend to think that teams that are well-coached should be fine against Fulham. And, I'm, you know, yes, Jurgen Klopp is a great coach, but I don't think... Liverpool are, are well using. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're using the the players that they do have available to the best that they they possibly can at the moment. But Fulham, I think they've they've been trudging along. Um, maybe their campaign for European football has started a little bit. Two losses on the bounce. I'll bet it's to Brentford and Arsenal. I think most teams in the leagues, if they were facing those two teams, would have struggled. They had that one-one draw against. Now, I guess the glaring thing is the Mitrovic situation, whether or not, Mm. you know, he can factor in anything going, you know, for the rest of the season, if you're to believe some of the the pundits that are out there with with how long they're saying he should be banned for and former refs and stuff like that, which I think is a bit insane. But can can Bournemouth take advantage of a shaky Fulham at the moment? Um, What are you feeling from this game? Um, I mean, I think they can. I think Bournemouth would have to look at Fulham without two important players, to be honest. we got to remember William um, got sent off as well, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and it looks like they're missing three overs in Cabano, Shane Duffy. Does that joke? They're missing, two, they're missing two important players, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I, was, uh, I thought you had more information yeah. than I had here. I was, well, I was, I was waiting for these other players. Premier injuries there, five. No, <laughs> it's two. Um, but no, that's two important players. But they do have options. Obviously, Mana Solomon's kind of in the super sub um, before those bad uh, bad poor results. Last couple poor results, if I can get my words out there. Um, so starting him over William, maybe Harry Wilson can come back to existence. Um, but Bournemouth at home against a Fulham team who may be the first team on the beach this season, question mark. Um, you, they have to see it as an opportunity. Um, I think it might be a draw because... <sighs> Fulham without Mitrovic don't have loads of goals in them, but they do have moments of magic. In Bournemouth, they can be fun up front. Um, the lad they signed in the January winger, whose name is very much escaping me at the minute, he looks fun. Solanke's still, I think he's one of them players who's half championship, half Premier League, isn't he? Um, still. Um, but I think if it clicks for Bournemouth, this is a good opportunity. But I'll sit right on the fence today and I will go with a one-all. 1-1 one, one draw for that one. Look, I, I, 
I usually react quite a, a lot more animated when you predict draws because I know you try and sneak them in there. But I think it's justified in this situation. Um, in terms of Bournemouth, I, I do think their January window was quite good. They brought in some exciting players. You mentioned the likes of uh, Semenyo, uh, Dango's was brought in as well, which I think has brought in a bit Uwatara, of a threat. Uwatara, that is new. Yeah, Dango Uwatara. That's the one. Um, so they've brought a bit more excitement and, and attacking threat, I've, I've thought, this season. Against the shaky Fulham side, not sure what's the Mitrovic situation. William not there as well. Solomon's going to have to start. Does that change things for them? I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go with the 1-1 draw here. Let, let's stay in, in a harmonious mood. I want to keep you in a good mood because the next game is Brighton versus Brentford. For me, I know there's the Man City-Liverpool game, but because I'm dreading that game, it's not my game mm. of the weekend. For me, Brighton-Brentford's my game of the weekend. I think that's going to be a fantastic game. With two sides, I mentioned teams that are well-coached. I don't know if there are many teams better coached than Brighton and Brentford this season. I've been in thoroughly enjoying both of those teams' seasons so far, much to the chagrin of Liverpool at times, um, looking at the league table for most of the season. But, Guy, it, is there a better game this weekend than this one? And I caveat that with my trepidations for that Man City-Liverpool game. Everton Spurs for funny reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially funny reasons. I'm sorry, Jordy. Um, <laughs> no, yes, yeah, so I think this is the hipster's dream, isn't it, this one? It's the. It, it's like if you put these two teams together, you'd probably have like a title contender. Yes. Uh, I, I might, if we're summer podcast, actually, <laughs> yes. put them two teams together, where would they finish? Um, but no, th- this should be a really fun game. Um I think in previous years, it'd be like one of those games where you think it's all magnificent football and it just ends nil-nil or Ivan Tony does something. But Brighton, I think it started with Potter, but I think Deserby has added on to that. Um, they're much more coherent in attack. Obviously, Matoma's so fun. Um, Evan Ferguson's coming through. Pascal Gross is playing eight positions in one game, uh, which is always fun. The midfield's excellent, whereas Brentford, Tony's excellent. The defence looks much more consistent than last year, I think. But I think Ben Mee's added to that quite a lot. David Ray has stepped up um, at another level, I think. Um, their midfield's probably not as exciting as Brighton's, but it's, it, I think it's very much Premier League proven. Uh, and they obviously have like people behind there, like Damsgaard and stuff like that, who's yet to show um, what he can do. But no, I think this is, this is probably the... Um, I catch one it if people are watching three o'clock games, this will probably be the one to watch unless Arsenal Leeds goes a bit mad, I suppose. Um unless you really want to watch Roy Hodgson. Um but no. <laughs> but uh, it's a tough one to predict because they're both really good teams, aren't they? Um I will go with Brighton because I do. <laughs> I do all the time. Um what would that mean for the top four race? Well we've it, well, if either of these win in our Liverpool game, even ends in a draw, they'll the winner will go over Liverpool. Yes. And if Liverpool lose and they draw, they both go over Liverpool. Indeed. Which would put which would put Liverpool eighth, which I want to happen because we're not getting top four. So I'm going for a draw today because this helps <laughs> Liverpool, and I'm going to go two all. 
a 2-2 draw. That would be a fun game. And look, you mentioned if, you know, of the three o'clock games, which one to watch. This is, as I said, the game that I'd watch over any game this weekend. But if you're in the UK, guy, you can't just watch this game. It's it's not possible. It's not showing in the UK. There's only one solution. There's only one solution that can help you to watch this game. It is the number one rated VPN on Trustpilot. Guy, tell me there's there's a solution. There is a solution. It's Liberty Shield, guys. Liberty Shield, this podcast is sponsored by Liberty Shield in association with EPR Index. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, and you guys can check out their services at libertyshield.com. You guys can save with the coupon code EPL25. You get 25% off of your routers or the software VPN that downloads straight onto your devices. Guys, it's a virtual private network. That's a technology which encrypts your, encrypts your internet traffic. It protects your online identity. It hides your IP address and shields your online data from third parties. You can change your location. You can avoid geoblocks or government-imposed restrictions to access any website. So, for example... All of these three o'clock games, if they're being shown in the U.S. on Peacock, you can get your Peacock subscription. You can have your Liberty Shield downloaded or you order that router. Switch your location to the U.S. and be able to watch the Premier League games. I watch all of the Premier League games through Liberty Shield VPN. I watch, I watch everything. I watch my TV series. I watch my movies. I watch my American sports. It's March Madness at the moment, guy. Now, my bracket bust in the first like three games, but don't worry about that. Um, I've been thoroughly enjoying that means. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people that watch um, NCAA basketball, college basketball will know what I'm talking about, but I've been able to watch college basketball throughout the whole tournament without an issue um, all the way from here. It's not showing on UK TV, but it is definitely showing in the U S and I can get that privilege through libertyshield.com. You guys can also go and check out the EPL Index shop. You can find it on Etsy. If you use the coupon code EPL10, you get 10% off at checkout. Guy, I absolutely love your 2-2 score predictions. Um, I get the justification that you bring with that. I, I, I want a winner from this game. And I can't... I, I, I had to flip a coin because I couldn't... I've gone with a 3-2 scoreline, right? Um, so I knew it was going to end 3-2, and I couldn't split the teams in terms of who I wanted to win this game 3-2. So I flipped a coin, and it came up with a 3-2 Brentford win, So which obviously means Ivan Tony's getting a hat-trick. Um, mm. And I guess that doesn't help your situation with Liverpool with regards to making top. I said Liverpool were going to end up finishing sixth or something stupid like that. I know it's a first-world problem, you know, to say why are you complaining about finishing sixth, but... With the way Liverpool are going at the moment, they can't afford to be in Europe next season unless it's Champions League. Um, I think it's going to ruin their season, and it's another year that they've wasted. But let's move on to teams who are wasting things. Crystal Palace just fired Patrick Vieira. Um, if, you, if you want to avoid this game, don't get me. I mean, wait, uh, <laughs> were you as shocked as I was? You know, Crystal Palace versus Leicester coming up. You're thinking, if you're Vieira, right? You're thinking, oh, my God, I've just gotten through the death trap of fixtures. Um, and now I see Leicester, a team that's currently sitting in 17th place. And I'm like, OK, now is the time for me to start picking up all those points from the months that I wasn't able to pick up because I've got Leicester. Right. 
then I don't have to play in that second week of this uh, double game week. So I've got time to prepare for our next game. That next game is against Leeds. Again, a team that's possibly beatable. Then after that, you know, I'm feeling good. I've got Southampton. Again, a team fighting for staying in the Premier League. Then I've got Everton, another team fighting to stay in the Premier League. Then I've got Wolves, another team that's down there towards the bottom. West Ham have been struggling this season. Guy, I'm looking at these fixtures and I'm thinking, oh my God, he just got you through this crappy period and then you bin him before he's allowed to have his, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes moment. I thought it was unfair. I thought it was uncalled for. I thought it was premature, in, in my opinion. And I don't know if it was another manager, if they would have been so quick to fire him. I was so pissed off. I don't think it shocked me because me and Dave literally spoke about it the Friday before. So it was you and Dave that fired him? Yes, it was. Um, but at the same time, we laughed off the fact they might rehire Roy Hodgson because that would be the dumbest thing a team could do. <laughs> and, well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Look what they do. Now, I get it. I get it. It was a horrendous run, but they didn't, apart from Liverpool, getting a point of Liverpool is like stealing candy from a baby. It's very easy nowadays. Um they just didn't put up a fight in any of them games. Not a fight. And that's kind of what I expect from a team like Crystal Palace um, in big games. They're always one of those horrid teams to play against for the big teams. When Liverpool used to be an actual football team, going to Selhurst Park was, oh God, this is a banana skin. Whereas I think this season, it's just... You just go, well, it's Crystal Palace. Who gives a toss? Who gives a toss? Um, but, asterisk, he did, I think most of those games he didn't have Zaha. And his affinity to play with Jordan AU, that means the attack is down to zero players. <laughs> um, it's just, it, it didn't surprise me, but at the same time, it surprised me that they went back to Roy Hodgson because, Whatever, he's loved by Chris, well, respected by Crystal Palace fans. I think the last couple of years of Roy, they probably went off him a bit because it was dire. Um, but what Hodgson did at Watford last season, I, I know it's very different, and he's obviously coached all of most of these Crystal Palace players. But good lord, he retired, came back, made Watford worse. Now. Another year after that, he's retired again after that, taking over a Palace team, four losses on the bounce. Have they scored a goal in this time? The issue was they a hadn't goal. even gotten a, a shot on target for like. Yeah, they scored one goal against the... Arsenal. One goal against Arsenal. And I think that was at 3 0 down, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, they've scored one goal and they were losing. They lost 4 1 in that game. It's just no, no, no. You, you're not to fix goal scoring. Because not apart from the Arsenal game, they look fine defensively. To fix offensive play, and you hire Roy Hodgson. What are you doing? What are you doing? He's probably going to make you worse defensively because he'll just park you on the edge of your own box, which will make you worse offensively. Because it'll mean Zaha will have to operate in fifty yards of space again, like he used to, and it literally all on Zaha. It, I just don't understand. I understand sacking 
Riera if you think he's not the right guy for a relegation scrap and he's not the right guy for next season. But if you're sacking him to bring in Roy Hodgson without a plan, it's it's just very stupid. And we've seen it. Teams have sacked managers this season and they've gone on to about their third page of managers on the list they want. Southampton hired their, not even their assistant manager, their coach, their first team coach. Um, who else? Leeds got Javi, Javi Gracia out of nowhere. I think Wolves and Villa are the only two teams who sacked the manager, and, and Everton, I should say, and Everton, obviously. Um, them three teams are probably the only ones who time sacking managers right because they got better options. Um, but you look at the recent seconds, it just screwed it up and there's a lack of options. Uh, and it is seemingly, you can't um, pick managers at will anymore. It's just, it just not. You don't sack Vieira to get Roy Hudson back in. Uh, well, put it this way, you at least give Vieira the Leicester game. And if he doesn't get at least a point against Leicester, then you can sack him. But for the love of God, don't hire Roy Hodgson. Jesus Christ. But anyway, on this game, Leicester. Um, the question always is with Leicester, is James Madison fit because he makes them a competent <laughs> team? Where is Leicester? He played for England, or at least featured, if I remember correctly. Good Lord, they have a lot of injuries and a lot of bad players on this injury list. He is fit. Yes. 2-0 Leicester. <laughs> no, no, they don't defend. 2-1 Leicester. <laughs> 2-1 to Leicester. Yeah, look, you, you raised some good points with regards to the situation with Vieira and getting rid of him and, and the reasons why they might do that. Um, you obviously mentioned, but don't go and hire Roy Hodgson. I agree with that. I, I'm still disappointed with the Vieira sacking. I think they didn't, they, they let him do the crappy job and then they're going to bring in another manager to come and be the hero in a situation that I think Vieira would have been the hero as well. I did. I don't see them. I didn't see them getting relegated. Maybe that's the, the difference between myself and yeah. how the Villa decision makers made yeah. their decision. I I never really thought they were in trouble of getting relegated. I thought no, I they were in a rough patch because of fixtures and they, you know, they just needed to stay as far away from the relegation zone mm-hmm. during that tough period of fixtures. And then they'll start to pick up mm-hmm. the points. The, the but, thing is to do with, they're never going to move away from the stigma of their managers where it's basically British boring and crap. Well, like they tried it twice and it's failed spectacularly one time, and they didn't give they gave, they gave up on Vieira after one try. How many chances did Roy Hodgson get when they were in an awful run of form? It's like you're never going to move away from that if you don't give a person more than one chance in one bad run of form. Like I'm sure they've had bad runs of form. This has obviously been an abysmal run of form, but you got to try and stick with it. You can't because who are they going to hire now? I mean, I think Pulis is retired, so not him. <laughs> Sam Allardyce is still kicking about. But, I mean, they literally, like, if you're a manager looking at clubs to go at in the summer, I know we've kind of gone off topic. Say Southampton, stay up. You'd rather have the Southampton job, I think, because you'll get, you'll get chances. Hassan Hill could have been sacked about three times, but he kept getting chances. West Ham you'd rather have. Leicester you'd rather have. Leeds you'd rather have. In my opinion, maybe not the best squad, but if, you, if you're a... A manager trying to change things at Crystal Palace, you're not, you know, you're going to get sacked, and they'll just bring in some old Brexit Garman manager. It, it is will. shocking. Yeah. And I, I, I was really excited for what they were doing there. They built the new, you, you know, training centre. They've got a really good youth setup. 
at the moment. Um, yeah, just really disappointing for me in that spirit. I'm, I'm going to take your 2-0 Leicester that you backed off on. And I'm going to say 2-0 to Leicester in this one. Um, I know Aston Villa were appointed the team for a tad predictable podcast, coincidentally straight after Jera got fired. Um, but if there was a, not a team for a tad predictable podcast for 22-23, it, it's just become Crystal Palace for me, which is a real shame. Uh, but Guy, there is only one thing that I'm holding on to with Crystal Palace, which could you mentioned how they might be sat in their own box and have to have some players perform miracles in order to score goals that could be something that could save me this season because before the season started you and I sat down on this podcast and we did way too early reckless predictions it was titled way too early reckless predictions and trying to make predictions before the transfer windows even closed before everyone had settled down for the season we made a couple of predictions um we said we would would have a look at them in december which we did we 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 stuck with our decisions uh some of them obviously became null and void but we're going into the run-in um, I'm just going to read out those predictions and then maybe we can discuss them quickly before we move on to the next five games. So I had, in terms of my three predictions that I said by week 16, I said that Michael Alisi would be leading the race for young player of the season. Obviously, he then goes into the season injured, which didn't help my cause. Um, but if Palace are going to have to find miracles in an attacking sense, maybe this does keep my campaign for Michael Elisi going this season. Um, I mentioned that Marco Silva would be fired. That's obviously gone the complete opposite way. They've been fantastic this season, um, based you know relative to the expectations that were put on them. Objectively speaking, um, he's done a great job. My next thing was that Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't going to get sold in the August transfer window, and he would only start eight games for Man United by game week 16 that came to fruition he wasn't sold he barely started for them and then he got sold so i nailed that prediction pretty spot on your predictions for by game week um 16 was that sean dyche would either be manager of wolves or southampton you were close it was another Mm. relegation struggling team in everton you mentioned that frank lampard would be fired before week 16 um, and then you also mentioned that it would still be a three-horse race by game week 16. So I think you fared pretty well on those two. I'm going to give you, what, is it two or three out of three for that one? I'd say two, two obviously, Sean. Two and a half. Yeah. And one and a half, one and yeah. a half. Because it, it was, <laughs> sorry, Jody, it was Spurs who was the third team. <laughs> This is intentional now. This is, this you is shouldn't a... have brought it up. I'll do it every time. No. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. So one and a half. One and a half for you there. And then we also mentioned by the end of the season, uh, predictions for the end of the season. I said that Chelsea would not make top four. That's looking pretty good for me. And I said Wayne Rooney would be manager on, in the Premier League. I was hoping that he was going to take the Everton job, but that didn't happen. Um and then you mentioned that Everton would be relegated this season. I'm interested if you still think that's the case with Sean Dyche now there. And then you also mm-hmm. said Brendan Rodgers would be fired. So in terms of our season ones, so far, I, I think, I certainly think that Chelsea won't make top four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might have one you there. T- you tick that one. Yeah, I think I can tick that one. Um, sorry, Chelsea fans. 
Wayne Rooney being a uh, manager in the Premier League, I guess that's probably not going to happen now. Right, half an X next to that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Everton to be relegated and Brendan Rodgers to be fired. Now, both these teams are still hovering, still mm. hovering near the bottom there. How are you feeling about those predictions now? Um, Leicester are dreadful at the minute. Um, <laughs> well, I said we obviously give our predictions, but if Palace beat them, a team on a similarly awful run of form, um, beat them, and it's like kind of comfortable and stuff like that, and Leicester drop into the relegation zone, which is very possible because West Ham, Bournemouth, Southampton can all overtake them with a win or even a draw. Uh, no. Yeah, if results don't go their way, they could be yeah. bottom of the log by the end of yeah, the, exactly. the game week. Exactly. So if they're in the relegation zone, I know it's always it's seemingly been a financial issue why they've not been able to sack him, but... It'll be a hell of a lot bigger financial issue when you're in the championship. (laughs) Um, So I think that one's much more likely than Everton's relegation now because it's Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche, man. It's Crystal Palace's future manager. No, I think they they made the perfect... um, managerial change i know i know john dice isn't exactly a fight he's not a firefighter like a sean dice uh, like a sean dice like a big sam um etc in previous years where they come in in spark spark up a little bit go a bit more direct and get more fight into the team but he's just he's made them much more competent and maybe they could still go down we've obviously seen seen sean dice basically rather get one team before he got um sacked um but I think I think there's three worse managed teams than Everton now. But if uh, if they if they got that hiring right or they kept with Lampard, I, I think that could have been a tick. But no, I think with Sean Dyche in there, they'll they'll um, they'll be strong enough to draw or just nick a win every now and then to get uh, safety. But yeah, I think the Rogers one could happen. It could happen sooner rather than later. I think. Interesting stuff. Look, I, I enjoy those reckless predictions. We'll obviously visit them again at the end of the season. We'll but do I'm, more next season. I'm looking forward to next yeah. season's one. I'm I'm Liverpool, I'm already trying to <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can get a bit more reckless with them. Um, I thought I was a bit cautious with some of them, um, and yet they still came back to bite me. But let's see, let's see how we do in next season's one. But guy. Before we move on to the last uh, five fixtures that we have to get through, Banker or Burnett has been going on. Uh, it started in 2023 for the 22-23 season. It started off with Jake Jackman, who got six, who got 14 out of 25. You came on, you got 16 out of 25. Riley came on, I think he got 13 out of 25 in his first go. Second go, second rounds. Riley gets 16 out of 25. You get 16 out of 25 again. I don't know if you're slipping some tens to um, the committee that are that are marking these things, but anyway. So you had back-to-back 16. So it meant you and Riley were the joint leaders. Jake Jackman had his go just before the international break, and I can reveal that Jake Jackman got 18 out of 25. 18 out of 25, guy. That is the second highest score we've ever seen. On Banker or Burnett on a tad predictable. The highest, I think, is 19 out of 25. First and foremost, your initial reaction to potentially having the trophy slip out of your fingers. And also, did you get a refund or or any kind of refund into the agreement for your parade uh, that you were going to be throwing when you, when you thought you were winning this thing? 
Well, Jake's a Newcastle fan. He can come up and use mine at time. <laughs> I know. I think he's from down south, isn't he? But he can pop up. It's fair. Um, there's still time. I'm counting my first appearance as like a late UFC substitution. I know we always do these. <laughs> I'm going to Michael Bisping this thing. But I'm counting that as my late sub. So I, I shocked the world, BT. Uh, coming in, getting top spot. So I reckon I go get another go and I get my 22 that I promised before. Um, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll mm. come back. All right. Fighting words from Guy Drinkle there. Well, at the moment, Jake Jackman is leading Bangor Bernard with that 18 out of 25. Very, very good scoreline. The trophy, I don't know if they're starting to write his name into it yet, but that that's a tough score to beat. So we'll see how the rest of our panelists do for the rest of the season, whether or not they can get above that scoreline. Otherwise, the trophy is going to Newcastle. Um, now let's move on to Nottingham Forest versus Wolves. Guy, you mentioned, you know, Wolves in terms of one of the teams that probably upgraded when they brought in their new manager, but it hasn't felt that way the last couple of games. The back-to-back losses, obviously that 2-1 loss to Newcastle. You, you mentioned that 4-2 loss to Leeds. It's one of those situations where they take one step forward, one step back, maybe two back, three forward. Like, they're going back and forth here. I don't know if they're a good team or not. I mean, the performance against Spurs wasn't great, but he tinkers at halftime. He resolves it. They go and win the game. It... <laughs> Does he have enough to actually put up some decent back-to-back performances? And, and does that start with this game against Nottingham Forest, who probably are one of the form teams when it comes to home games, um, but haven't fared all too well recently? I, I think in their last five games, they haven't won a game. Um, Nottingham Forest, do they need a win in this one just to keep their head hovering above that relegation zone? And then for you, what do you think of Wolves and their sort of tango they're doing their back and forth? I think both teams would take a draw, to be honest, just kind of change fortunes. Um, But no, I think you're spot on with Wolves. It's just really hard to know. Um, I still think they'll be fine just because I think they've got a really good manager and I think the team... Is just one of the better ones down there, but they're not doing it prettily. Um, I mean, the lead, lead game was bad. Newcastle, what happened? Being Spurs, I hold my tongue. Losing to Liverpool, come on, lads. Um, it, if you look a bit deeper, it, I think the Leeds game is the only one that's a worry, isn't it, really? Conceding four goals to Leeds is never really acceptable. Um, but I think they'll be fine. I think they'll just ball their way to safety. And there's, cer- there's certainly three worse teams than them. I, not even if you're counting. There's three worse teams. There's three worse coach teams than them. Um, but, yeah, you, they are a funny team. It's hard to predict. But I like the defence. The midfield should be better than it is. Um, the attack's always been the issue. Um But, yeah, this is a good opportunity for both teams to get a win, which is obviously a stupid cliche. But Forest are better at home, uh, much better at home. Um, But at the same time, don't have any centre-backs anymore. (laughs) Um, And their midfield seems a bit weird. The lads they brought in in January haven't really settled. I think that Danilo lads had a couple good appearances, but he seems to be in and out of the 
squad all together and bringing in like John Joe Shelby and didn't they, was it Ryan Yates they just kind of or was it Lewis mm-hmm. O'Brien it was one of them one of the ones uh, I think it was O'Brien actually just he seemed to settle in then they binned out the squad it, it's an odd odd team at the minute Forest um, I'm tempted to go draw but I've done enough of them I'll go Forest one nil oh backing the home team yeah. um yeah that would be great for Forest I think. I'm interested to see if Wolves can get that midfield going again. Obviously, Mateus Nunes got that red card, so that maybe hampers their their ability to continue to get chemistry and, and, and games together and try and get a midfield that can just control games and wrestle games away from teams. But yeah, that home crowd, man. I, I, I do think they're going to be goals in this game, though, Guy. I'm, I'm not confident with either team's defending at the moment. So I've gone 2-1 to Forrest. Uh, but yeah, it, I think both teams will take a draw and, and move on. But let's move on to Chelsea versus Aston Villa. Villa were impressive last time out. Mm. We saw them. Um, and then they play a Chelsea side who obviously much has been written about them and their transfer window and, and what they're doing this season. They had the back-to-back wins against Leeds and um, Leicester, 3-1 against Leicester. And then they had that 2-2 draw with Everton, which... I think it's safe to say it would have been a very disappointing draw for Chelsea and probably the result that maybe completely ended their belief, should I say, in getting top four, sneaking into that top four race um, anytime soon. I say that looking at the gap, it, it's, the gap maybe is not that great, but it's the amount of teams, Guy. Five yeah. teams between them and top four. And then the fourth team, you know, so six six teams have to be really bad for them to get up there. I just don't see six teams being really bad <laughs> and giving them an opportunity to get up there. And then, interestingly for Aston Villa, if they go and beat Chelsea, they go above Chelsea. They go into that top half of the Premier League. And as the team, as I mentioned, of a tab predictable for the 22-2023 season, tell me why you've predicted an Aston Villa win. I don't know when the Champions League game is, but let's <laughs> say when they're that's what Chelsea is going to take more seriously. Um, it's probably not this week because um, the Champions League doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> no, they don't play. They they play Liverpool on Tuesday, so they've got back to back games. Oh, God, Aston Villa on me after Saturday, Liverpool a week. on Tuesday. Yes. Oh, what a what a schedule. Um, no, I think Villa, Villa are a team I, I could see hurting Chelsea. I mean, Ollie Watkins is in the form of his Premier League life, seemingly. It's weird that having the best manager, um, it's what it does. But they're a weird team. I think they're over, kind of over-reliant on Ollie Watkins to do goals because Bailey's not really a goal scorer and he, it, it's week to week whether he's actually a footballer. Uh, Buendia is not really a goal scorer. The midfield, I, I think, is very, very good. Um I can't remember who else plays in the fall. Coutinho is injured. He's probably the second one who probably do goals, but not not really in an Aston Villa shirt anyway. Um, Chelsea, who the hell knows with Chelsea? That's the thing, isn't it? Like, I think they've been... Koulibaly's a bit of a mess, but I think they're finding something defensively with Fafana and... Um, uh, Badashil, I'll go with. <laughs> um... Obviously, Thiago Silva's still out, but I think if you just roll with the young lads, I mean, 
you can't be all you can't be reliant on Silva for that long, and I think he does limit them in terms of playing a high line and stuff like that. Um, but they are they are finding something with Joe Felix and Sterling and stuff like that. Um, although Sterling's a doubt for this game, and so is Havertz. So I do the hell's playing up front. God knows, <laughs> um, just Joe Felix on his own. Um, they have a lot of injury doubts. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, I'm tempted to say another draw, but it wouldn't surprise me if Villa win this because I think they have a more, certainly this season, a more reliable goal scorer in Ali Watkins. But I think there could be goals in this. I'll go... I will go... Mm, I'll go 3-2 Villa. Why not? Ooh. Something to watch. What a game. Hmm. Now, for Chelsea, I think one of the issues has been the chemistry for their attacking players. Yes, they've got the talent. Yes, they've got, um, you know, I think really good players that individually you can see where they're going to be playing well. They started to get a few goals in their last two games, I think five in their last two games, but that meant them conceding goals in those games. I think it was you know, 3-1 against Leicester and then it was 2-2 against Everton. I think he's going to try and rein them back in again in terms of we don't, you know, is us scoring so many goals allowing us to be a bit more leaky defensively? And I don't know if that plays into the hands of Aston Villa or does Potter say, you know, this is the type of football that I'm used to. I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to I'm going to want us to be ball dominant, let the likes of Enzo Fernandez pull the strings, have Jao Felix trying to break the lines. You know, you got the likes of Havertz. Do maybe I pose this as a question rather than than a statement. Do you worry about the the threat that Aston Villa would have on the counter attack against the Chelsea side, who whose players are still getting used to each other? I think that's one of the hardest things to defend. Is transition football when you're a Mm -hmm. team that isn't settled and used to knowing how your other players play how they move who covers for who when um and situation i can just see aston villa getting a couple of goals um on the counter attack i've written two one here but i'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that yeah i think it is and it's a weird thing with with chelsea because they have so many injuries in in the defense as well like Reese James is injured for a long time, seems to be able to play a handful of games, then picks up the same injury. So, I mean, for his sake, I hope it's not like a chronic thing that will affect his career and hopefully it's just a bad spell. But he has been injured a lot. Chilwell's obviously um, had that massive injury. I can't remember what it was exactly. Um, but he seems to be nursing back. I think he played for England in the week, so maybe it's just too much too soon or something like that. But Kukurea seemed to arrive against Dortmund. I'm not sure if he played against Everton or not, but um, it's not bad having a 6 to 50 to 60 million pound backup left back to your 50 million pound left back. Um, but yeah, having no cover for Reese James, bad. I know they've um, addressed that with the lad coming from Leon um, in the summer. But uh, yeah, if it's, if it's like Azpi at right back and he'll have to push up and try and do a bit of creativity because it's part of their system, it's not really going to work. I know they've played like Loftus Cheek and stuff at right wing back, which probably will be more likely. It's just an it's an odd it's an odd for Chelsea. Like, I couldn't tell you what their formation is. 
like maybe it's because I've just stopped watching football with Liverpool being bad. I've certainly watched less football with Liverpool being bad. But Chelsea, I like I don't know what their best uh, I was going to say X are what their best eleven is. I don't know what their starting formation would be. Like other than starting Enzo Fernandez and Kepper, I really couldn't tell you who'd be a guaranteed star. Like, like the defense, obviously when Thiago Silva comes back, he's probably guaranteed. But around him, like I think the the young lads should be the one starting. But it wouldn't surprise me if he just dropped in Koulibaly now and again and stuff like that. It's just a very odd thing, and he, he needs to figure. That was an issue at Brighton. He always used to. Um, prick about with the team too much, didn't he? Um, at Brighton, so he needs it. Chelsea just needs to, in this time, find out what he can take into next season if he does get that far. Um, find something this season to take into next season, and we've seen teams do that. I mean, I'll use Liverpool as the boring example. In when Rodgers had his year going for the title. It started in the year before with 12-13 when Sturridge came into the team and Coutinho came into the team. We just became a a very attacking team um, until Suarez bit Ivanovic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey-ho, uh, S happens. Um, but we took that that style into next season and we became a title contender. Obviously, it didn't really click till the January, um, but that was the blueprint. So if he can find something and... If they don't get Europe next season, obviously we we saw the financial implications come out in the press this season. But no Europe, um, a million players. So if you if you whittle that down to I don't know twenty one to twenty three players or whatever the hell that you can rely on, you've got Inkunku coming in, you've got the right back coming in, um, and then you just literally have to find a lad who can score goals. And that's it. So yeah. if you find everything apart from the goal scorer, um, whilst protecting the likes of Reese James and Jillwell, who are obviously picking up more and more injuries, it could this end of season could be something for Chelsea. But yeah, maybe it's just it's that much of a mess. They've got so many injuries and they've got so many players. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a weird one. But no, I think Villa the sort of team who Unai Emery's came in, apart from the odd little tweak where. Say one week, I know these injuries at the minute, but when do you start one week? Coutinho starts the other. Um, sometimes Bailey starts. Sometimes I think John Duran, who came in January, he's got a couple games now or a couple, a, a bit more minutes. So apart from the odd tweak, Villa are a very, very settled side, whereas Chelsea are anything but. And Ollie Watkins, as I said, form of his life and counter attacking. Defending transitions is probably one of the harder things. So yeah, I think that's where Villa will target. And it's a, I don't think anyone would see it as a surprise that we're both predicting Villa to win, really. But um, at the same time, if Chelsea win like one or two nil, I don't think anyone would be surprised. But it's a really settled team against a bit of a mess of a team. And I don't reckon the settled team. Interesting game, definitely. Let's move on to another game that I think many people will be interested to see how it shapes out. It's West Ham versus Southampton. Now, is this that cliche of the the, the classic six-pointer game, Guy? Oh, very much so. Very much so. It's always odd having to scroll that far down for West Ham. And I know it's not that long ago they were a relegation-threatened team, but good Lord, their team should not be down here. Um, Yeah, it's a very strange game because West Ham, they just don't seem... 
It just doesn't seem a happy place at the minute. I mean, you even look, you look at some, like, nobody will be a happy team down in the relegation zone, but I think even, like, Forest. I know the 16th are not in the relegation zone, but I think Forest will still be like looking at the season going, if we stay up, this is brilliant. I know West Ham have just come off being in Europe and stuff like that. It's, like, miserable, and it's been that way basically since the start of the season. Like, even Southampton... There's something there. Obviously, the 20th, and that's dreadful in crap and stuff like that. But they've got all this young, exciting talent to to watch. Whereas you look at West Ham and say, all our summer signings haven't clicked. Declan Rice keeps mentioning he wants to leave. Um, we don't see they don't seem to like them. It might just be the social media fans. Um, but the the pressure on David Moyes is growing. Um, the ownership situation, obviously, with the passing of uh, I can't remember, David Gold, I think it was. I think you sort that situation out. Um, but it just seems a bit of a mess because every time they try to take that jump, it goes worse. Like, they're better players, Bowen, Rice, um, Fornal seems to have dropped off even as well. Those dependable lads who always just give a 7 out of 10, they're just not doing that this season. So, yeah, West Ham... If they lose this, I think one, boys will get sacked if they lose this game. Um, and two, I mean, they'll probably be 20th if they do lose it. But, well, at least 19th. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if Bournemouth win. Um, but if West Ham are 20th, that's unacceptable because that team is a top-half team all, all day long. Um, but Southampton is... The weirdness with Southampton never goes away, does it? But... The thing for me with Southampton, mm. though, is at least they've shown fight. Yeah. At least they've shown they're playing for the manager, which I think is always the worry when the team is, you know, in trouble and they they've changed the manager. Sometimes the players don't react. At least they're showing fight. With they're Moyes, in good, they're in good form. Yeah. They're in decent, decent form. I mean, beat Leicester a game they had to win. Uh, drew with Man United, I know it was against 10 men, but a draw, a, good, a point is a point against Man United. Lost to Brentford, but that, that could happen to anyone. And a free-all draw with Tottenham, went, weren't they 3-1 down, if I remember correctly? Yep, they so were. So that, that, is, that is four, well, three good results out of four. So, yeah, it, it may not be the best at the minute, but <clears throat> and you said at least the players are trying and not giving up. Maybe they're not ready for this level and maybe a bit too many young players at one time, but... There's at least something there. Whereas West Ham, it's like, this is probably almost, probably similarly to Liverpool. It's like an end of a cycle. And I know I keep bringing up Liverpool, but it, it's, always, it's a bad comparison. It seems like West Ham cycle, they may have tried to rush it in the summer in terms of changing it. <clears throat> but the players they signed, none of them seem like David Moyes signings. It just seems like they didn't really get their first choice in any position. Um but yeah, no, back heading into April, and I still don't know David's no. strongest lineup. No, no, no. I'd say Pat Piquette is a midfielder one week, he's a 10 the next week, then he's not playing. <clears throat> Antonio, I know Skamak has been injured quite a while, but Antonio doesn't do goals anymore. He doesn't seem that big physical presence anymore, so he's not really offering anything. Jared Bowen's not really involved at all when I see West Ham. Um, the defence is. It can be something to build around because I think Zuma and Agard and I know Ogbon has come back probably a bit more leadership in the team. But it's just yeah, I, I I wouldn't know what their best eleven is as well. I'm going to back Southampton. Screw it, screw it, Tadiwa. Let's go 
it's going to be horrid at the London Stadium, but I'm going to go 2 0. No, 2 1 Southampton. Oh, 2 1 Southampton. I've gone 1 0 to Southampton. I, I do think that factor of the players fighting for the manager, I, I think they see this one through. And as you said, it makes things very, very interesting at West Ham and what they do with regards to David Moyes. Is, do you want to be the last club to sack a manager in, in that relegation zone? Because you're kind of picking from not a lot of options, I guess, um, is maybe the danger there. But let's move on to Newcastle versus Man United. Let's mosey our way up or should I say scroll our way up as as you were saying a bit earlier when you're scrolling down let's scroll back up the table um we've got Man United in third place probably safe to say they've secured top four this season we'll see but based Mm -hmm. on form and the way they're playing maybe um Newcastle are still fighting obviously to get into that top four they've got two two games in hand on the team that's currently in fourth place they win they go ahead of United we should say yeah, or when they go ahead of United. So it's handy that they're playing them. They've got a healthy goal difference, uh, 20 goals, um, goal difference at the moment, whereas United only have a six, a plus six goal difference there. So, yeah, plenty to play for in this game, Guy. It, we've seen sort of the inquest that happened at Man United, should we say, um, after the Liverpool result. They went to, into Europe got through in Europe very convincingly as well, but then had that nil-nil draw against Southampton. And, you know, you mentioned the red card, but where are Man United at the moment? What does that do for them? And then they come up against the Newcastle side who they started to slump a little bit, but they've had two very gritty wins. Um, you know, for example, the Nottingham Forest one, some people may say it was very fortunate. They get that penalty towards the end, but Based on the amount of chances that Newcastle created and the amount of chances they missed in that game, I thought they deserved to win that game. Are we getting Newcastle back on track in terms of their top four push and and the way they were playing earlier in the season? And is this a great time for them to continue that journey against a Man United side that kind of doesn't really know where they stand at the moment um, after the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think it's certainly a good time to play United. Obviously, Casemiro um, suspended for a good few games, isn't it? Yeah. Um, going off Premier injuries, it wouldn't surprise me if most of these people play. But Rashford, 50%. Varane, 50%. Obviously, we'll know by the time of the weekend um, with press conferences and stuff like that. Sabitz are 50%. Um, Martial, that's not worth bringing up. <laughs> um but that that's a that's a lot of starters that are missing, and it's a lot of people in one area missing because Casemiro and Eriksson's the starting midfield. Then it's probably Casemiro and Fred, but then it became Casemiro and Sabitzer uh, in, in in the last couple of games, on there? or I think it was in Europe if I remember correctly. Um, so it's going to be Fred and McTominay. And if Newcastle's midfield is at full um, strength, I do believe their proper name is McFred. I'm not 12 year old though today. Was <laughs> um, but if if Jolinton, um, Gimaresh, and one other are in midfield, <clears throat> I they should really dominate that that midfield area. But looking at this, it looks like Newcastle have got a few doubts as well. Nick Pope, 50 percent. Sven Botman had food. Oh, I remember the Dutch Dutch team had food poisoning or something, didn't they? Um, he was one of them. So might. It probably depends how he how well he's feeling, but in terms of the midfield area, 
I think that's an advantage Newcastle. It's just whether it's just whether they can get the goals. And we saw Isaac kind of arrive, didn't we? He obviously he's had a couple of good games, but that Forest game, I think it's the first time I've seen like a Sky Sports or whatever kind of big him up and see the quality in him. Um, so it'd be nice. It'd be good to see if Isaac can continue the form. It was almost a shame it was an international break for him, but. Uh, <sighs> I think with Newcastle, as long as Botman and that are fine, um, I'd probably make them favourites because that midfield without Casemiro and if it is McFred, I will be eleven. Um, it, it's just not pretty, and we know we know that's why Man United have improved. They've obviously got a proper manager and they've got a proper midfield. Um, so I, I will back Newcastle because I think Man United will be feeling the effects of the lads missing. Um, but I think it'll be tight and ugly game because I think it's kind of the two type type of teams these two teams are. Um, I'll go one nil Newcastle. I think it might be a bit of an ugly game. We saw that in the League Cup, but that's a final, and they're never really that good other. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned that final. Man United were the better team in that game. I do think the injuries that Man United have, the slash the suspension that they they have, is going to be pivotal in this game. Look, you mentioned the midfield battle. I think if if they go back to Oli Ball, which Eric Tenhock seems to have done quite often this season, I think McFred is fine for that because we know they're both just going to tackle and give the ball to other players. And if they can just do that, they don't need to have a midfield battle with Newcastle. They can sort of just bypass the midfield. And we know how... Um, dangerous they've been going forward recently i think rashford you'd assume is going to be fine with a lot of these players that were injured or you know pulled or pulled back or recalled from the international squads i think a lot of them it was their managers saying look i'm going into the business end of the season if any of you are 50 percent, 75 percent feeling some sort of niggle you're not going Whereas if it was, you know, an important international fixture, and obviously everyone thinks every game is important, but anyway, if it's if it was important international fixtures, I think most of these players would have played. I just think that in this during this time period, with what's at stake going into the business end of the season, anyone that had niggles was being recalled back or being shut down just so that there's enough time to recover, do what they need to do to be ready for the, the the last stretch so to so to say um for this game i've gone 2-0 newcastle i think the reason i've gone with that you mentioned you know it's a good time to play man united and there's that saying that oh well everyone plays everyone twice so it makes it equal to me i, I think that's too basic a level of looking at things i think it's more important when you play teams um not just that you play every team twice Playing Man United now versus playing Man United in like January is a completely different game. And I think Newcastle are going to enjoy playing this game. It's going to be at home. The crowd's going to be up for it. And I think they can come to Man United with energy, with pace, with some of their younger players against maybe a United side that might be a little bit older based on the injuries that they have um, and won't be athletic as they need to be, especially defensively, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so I, I see Newcastle winning this game and continuing their charge up to top four. I think they get top four this season, and this certainly helps them do that. Team that's hoping that's not going to be the case, or at least hoping that if Newcastle make it, they drag them along with them, is Tottenham. They face Everton. They travel to Goodison Park. Now, Guy, 
there was that breaking news at Sunday at like half past 10 in the evening that Conte had been let go. I mean, the the, the statement itself was quite, you know, jarring. I thought um, they didn't really mention much, you know, gratitude or thanks to him in, in any shape or form. And the time when the announcement was made was during a very dead period for, for news feeds and stuff like that. Um, it just seemed like it came crashing down in a very ugly way for them. If they don't make top four, will it be seen as a mistake letting him go? Or did the moment he have that sort of outburst burst in the press conferences just sort of seal everything and irrespective of anything, he had to go? Yeah, it did seem to become toxic. And obviously that last press conference was great content. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I think at that point it was just done. Um, Calling out the players so publicly. We've seen managers get away with that, but calling out your bosses and... (sighs) I think as a neutral who loves Spurs, (laughs) (laughs) um, I pretty much agree with everything he said. Um, I'm sure there's many Spurs fans and people associated with Spurs agree with everything he said as well, but you just just can't. You can't survive that. Um, But... At the same time, Spurs have dropped the bag with one of the best managers of all time in Jose Mourinho. Now, he wasn't Jose Mourinho at Spurs, let's be honest. But they dropped the ball with Mourinho and they dropped a bigger, much bigger ball with Antonio Conte. Now, I don't think Conte ever seemed overly enthused or loved being at Spurs. But if you get one of the best managers in the world you got to do everything in your power to make him try and fall in love with your club and make him care. And offering him... Like, I like some of the players they've bought, like Benton Kura, Kulisevsky and stuff like that. And obviously Perisic is probably one Conte wanted, but go the extra mile. <clears throat> I know you've just made the big fancy stadium and stuff like that and financial pressures and stuff like that, but go the extra mile. Like, I'm not saying spend a hundred million on Vardial or whatever and something like that, but if your defence is Eric Dyer and Ben Davies and your goalkeepers Hugo Lloris, like maybe Conte wanted to work with these people, but if you were offering him, I don't know, say if they pushed the ball out and got who's that young lad from Inter Bastoni or whatever it was, try and flex your muscles, try and go big on a position, um, like. I know they got Poro in in January and stuff like that, but it just it never seemed like they wanted to try and flex the muscles they had with Conte. Like buying off Everton with Richarlison, that's your big woo. We've got we've got one of the best managers in the world. We're going to buy a player Tottenham could have bought any season, any time. Just it, it doesn't never really seem to realise the opportunity they had, and yeah. But at the same time, like Spurs are fourth. They are fourth. <laughs> I know they've got game, they've played two more games and teams around them and stuff like that. But if they finish fourth, if if they were to finish fourth with with Conte, that's an excellent season. They were never going to win the league, and it's obviously a shame they don't really uh, take the Champions League seriously. And Conte's European record's awful as well. But you still you got to be in it. And you got to be in it to make a run. Like Spurs got to a Champions League final like 
four years ago. Three years ago. Um, four years ago. Um, so you got to be in it, and the miracle run can just happen like that. So it's just, yeah, I think they've dropped the bag twice there. And if they get Nagelsmann, I think that's a much better fit for what Spurs want. But if they end up just like going back to Pochettino, who's not the same guy who took over Spurs the first time, it just seems like, what lads, you, you, you're going around in a circle. You're going to be hiring Klinsman or something in the coming years or something like that. It just it just feels like a very weird time at Spurs, but yeah. Uh, but in terms of the game, um, it's a good opportunity for Everton, I think. But at the same time, if that toxicity is kind of flawed out of Tottenham, it might just, it might like, I don't know, free up someone like Young Min Son, who's obviously had an awful season. Richarlison against his former team, it does speak of a proper bell end moment from him, doesn't it? Um, but it's it's a hard one to predict. I, I'll back Tottenham for logic, but it won't surprise me if Everton win either. But I'll say two, uh, two nil Tottenham. Two nil even. Yeah. Clean sheet. That would that would stick it to Conte, wouldn't it? Clean sheet for Tottenham. Look, um, from my perspective, yeah, I, I thought obviously intentional the timing of of the announcement that he was leaving. They had already preempted everything by leaking that he was going to get fired, and then they do it a week later at ten o'clock at night. Um, in terms of Conte's time there, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I, I think for him it was a placeholder club. I don't mean any disrespect to Spurs fans. I'm just thinking from the, you know, from an objectively speaking, from Conte side of things, I, I I think it was. And then for him to not get backed, as you mentioned, I'm sure would have been frustrating, not just for Conte, but for the fans, I think for the players as well. Well, some of the players that would have been allowed to stay, I guess some of the players that you know, that, that are fringe players that have been allowed to stay because they haven't backed and probably preferred it this way because they get to stay. But for me, I think the biggest issue was, I think I could see what Conte was trying to do to say, we're going to stay in games as long as we can because we've got Harry Kane. And if we can keep games very low scoring or keep the distance between us and the other team quite close where a team doesn't run away from us we can always get back into the game or we can always go and win it with a Kane goal with you know a Son performance obviously it hasn't gone well for Son this season but I think Conte would have been happy to win every game 1-0 this season Um, but in order to do that he needed defenders that weren't going to give unforced errors and I look across that back line even Romero, who's their yeah, best centre-back. I was going to say, even the good ones. Are even the good one makes errors. So it, it, it just seemed like a recipe for disaster. When they went and signed Richarlison, um, you know, great to add attacking depth. But I thought all that money should have gone straight to a centre-back. Bring in a centre-back that just solidifies things and it would have sent them a lot further. But yeah, so I think there was a bit of competition between Conte and maybe the Levy camp in terms of how the club was going to approach things from a signings perspective. Um, you know, there was always conversations of, oh, is this a Conte signing? Is this a, Cl- a Tottenham signing? Jed Spence was signed and never got played by Conte. You know, these type of things. I don't think it ever helped. In terms I of... That's a waste of 20-odd... Was it 20-odd mil? Mm, I think it was. Yeah. Like, it's not, I know it's like 
in modern football, it's chump change. But if you add 20 mil onto the Richarlison fee, that's, what, 70 to 80 mil? Yeah. That's, well, that's all. Well, that's a club record fee, I imagine. Yeah. It, 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 anyone else it, spend it, is, it is a shame um, the way that it ended. Uh, interesting that Scalini has stayed. Uh, until the end of the season, I think that's probably why the the announcement took so long was negotiating how he was going to stay and Conte was going to leave, um, and and sorting out all of the legal implications with regards to that. Once Conte spoke, yeah, kind of writing on the wall in terms of what he said, I think he was bang on with what he said. I think there were a lot of hard truths that where if you're a fan of that club, you're saying I can call my players crap, but you can't call my player crap. You know, every, you know, every fan of their own club yeah. sometimes knows the shortfalls of their club, but it hurts more when someone else says it rather than when you guys say it. Um, and it didn't help that he always had this higher than thou kind of aura around him um, during his time at Spurs. So it probably didn't help him to then go and say that out publicly. Um, but yeah, we'll see what they do next season. In terms of this season, it's about just getting top four. Again, I think the plan is the same to what Conte was trying to do, which is just keep things tight. Don't make any mistakes defensively. And Kane can carry us to top four. Kane has the goals. He has the ability to carry this team to top four. So I don't think it's panic stations yet at Spurs, but if one or two results don't go their way early on, it could get quite interesting how they react going forwards. But yeah, I think this game is an interesting one to end off in terms of the first bit of game week 29 my prediction, I've gone with the 2-1 Spurs win. I do think Spurs go and win this one. Usually Spurs don't play well when the pressure's on. I don't know if there's that much pressure on them in this game. I think, you know, they almost have that shackle lifted off of them with the whole Conte controversy, and, and they're just going to go and play football and, and get the result there. But, Guy, that's going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Obviously, on Sunday... We're going to record Tad and the Predictables. But do you have anything you want to plug, put over, promote before we wrap up? Uh, I think I will be doing your job on Friday with Dave again. So that's probably just me making the same questions to Dave. So uh, two-footed over on Friday and anything uh, I do on AI will be um, on my Twitter at Guy Drinkle. Awesome stuff. Guys, do go check out uh, EPL Index website. There's match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, all of the news that you guys could wish for. Of course, there's the Two-Footer podcast, as Guy has just mentioned. It's with Dave Hendrick. Finally, also go check out the flagship show that runs weekly. It's the EPL Roundtable, where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL team um, teams. They do reviews of previews of the happenings around the EPL. So we, we do the preview show. They do sort of the review show and um, Kev's going to be in London in a couple of weeks and I'm going to get to hang out with him. So that should be quite fun um, coming up. So I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, guys go and follow at a tad predictable on Twitter, go follow at EPL index on Twitter, subscribe to the EPL index podcast channel on your podcast providers, give us five stars, write positive comments, congratulate Jake Jackman on, you know, taking the lead. Um, I think he's saved this podcast to date so far. And, you know, cause guy is no longer at, at the top of it and he was going to blow our entire budget for next season on a trophy and a parade. I hope he got refunds for some of that stuff. Some of your deposits that you already put down guy. I hope you 
I hope they weren't non-refundable. Um, otherwise, we, we, we might be screwed for next season, truly. Um, but I've been Tadio Chimikira. You can find me on the Twitter handle at TadPredicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. He's at John Empire SA. And Spursy141, um, Jody McKenna, at Spursy141. They do our guest intros. Our producer behind the glass, and he was in front of the mic today, Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. And remember, Chisunga Perry. Sure. And still, Salah, oh, sensational! Son had a go and still a beauty! Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemann! De Bruyne! And it's Wood from Martinelli, gorgeous! Still going up! Oh, he's done it again! Sports Social Podcast Network.